Coming up, the youth train isn't slowing down in Arizona, so how does the newcomer Dre Jameson project on the D-backs roster? And after that tough loss to the Dodgers, I just want to talk about things we still have to be excited about for the rest of this season, all coming up on today's Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Mildred Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MildredThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account or look up Locked on Dimebacks both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends, the D-backs are coming off a tough series against the Dodgers, so I want to talk about things we still have to look forward to for the rest of this D-backs season because the season's not over yet. D-backs still have, still have around 20 games left, so there's still things to be excited about, guys. So I want to talk about that after that somber series, but before we get there, because one thing that we should be getting excited about is the debut of Dre Jameson. I feel like this is someone who I'm going to get his name wrong a lot because every time I see his name, for some reason, I want to say Drew, but I believe it's pronounced Dre. So Dre Jameson just got called up. I think he's expected to make his debut on Thursday for the D-backs. And the D-backs have just started a whole youth train this season, specifically like the last month, month and a half. I mean, we've seen the Corbin Carrolls, the Tommy Henrys, Ryan Nelson's on the major league level, dominating. We've seen Luis Frias, Edwin Usida. Like we've seen so many young D-backs prospects this season. Now we get to see Dre Jameson, who at the end of 2021 was one of the higher rated D-backs prospects. He fell down a little bit. Well, actually, where is he? Well, according to the MLB.com rankings in 2021. He actually finished the year, I guess, as the 17th ranked prospect in the D-backs organization. I feel like when I looked at the beginning of the 2022 prospect list, he was higher. But currently, on the D-backs, 2022, top 10 prospects on MLB.com, Dre Jameson is listed at number nine overall, right behind Ryan Nelson at number eight. So Dre Jameson is getting the call up. And let me just read you his scouting report a little bit. And this is coming off straight MLB.com. So it's not like I've gone to the minor league games. I haven't been to Amarillo to see Dre Jameson. So this is straight from MLB.com. But He's listed, they said he's an explosive athlete, lightning quick arm that sits in the mid-90s, and he's got the ability to touch triple digits. You guys know, if we're calling up a pitcher, if we're signing a pitcher, if we're trading for a pitcher, that guy could throw in the mid to upper 90s consistently. That guy could throw triple digits. You already know he's making it to the Miller Thomas All-Star team. He's already going to be one of my favorite players. So Dre Jameson, like a Ryan Nelson, I'm already in on this guy and his potential. Someone like Tommy Henry, I was a little bit more, I guess bullish means positive, right? Well, let me say this. Tommy Henry, I was a little bit more cautious on. 
And I want to do a little bit more wait and see with Tommy Henry. I want to do the same with Ryan Nelson, Andrew, and Dre Jameson as well. But for Tommy Henry, there was a little bit more uh, caution and not as much optimism just because of his pitching profile, right? He was a guy that already maxed out around 91, 92 miles an hour on his fastball. Dre Jameson is someone that can max out at triple digits. And when you got a fastball like that, like that's a that's dangerous. That's a weapon against opposing batters. Apparently, he also has a two-seam fastball that he added to his repertoire last season. Some people think he has a plus-plus slider as well. Some people think his changeup, his singing changeup, might be his best off-speed pitch. So we'll see with Dre Jamison. He's someone that I really just want to get in the lab. Like all these young pitching prospects, like we got to get them called up. One, because it's not like they're 20 years old and they're not ready to the to be called up like it's not like these guys are too raw to be called up guys like ryan nelson dre jameson like ryan nelson's 24 dre jameson's 25 like this is the perfect age for dre jameson to get called up and one reason i want to see those guys like drew uh like the dre jamesons and ryan nelson get called up is because we got someone like brent strom a pitching wizard on the major league level and i feel like the best development those guys get is on the mlb level pitching against other mlb talent Getting coached by Brent Strom, like I just said, the wizard, the maestro, the, the the King Midas of pitching coaches. That's what Brent Strom is. We've gotten into it a lot of time about the history of Brent Strom. Dallas Keiko, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, whoever Brent Strom touches, he can turn to a Cy Young Award winner. And maybe Dre Jameson, maybe Ryan Nelson's another one of those guys because Dre Jameson has got the pitching profile. The thing is, the stats haven't really bared out, at least not really this season. He was really good in double A this year. 2-4-1 ERA in double A. He only had 18.2 innings pitched down there. But like I said, 2-4-1 ERA down there, a .91 whip, a 197 average allowed. Like he was really good in double A. Got a quick promotion to triple A to play for the Reno Aces in. The numbers haven't been the same since getting called up to triple A because he's got 6-9-5 in triple A, which is not a pretty number. But still, even since being called up and that ERA uh, going up really high. Still 8.6 strikeouts per nine, but the command is probably the biggest issue for Dre Jameson right now in his early career. So I want to see what he could do with a Brent Strom, what he looks like on the major league level, because I do think this guy has real talent. I think at one point he was considered maybe the best pitching prospect in the D-backs organization. It is debatable where a lot of these guys, him, Blake Walston, Ryan Nelson, Brandon Fatt, like all those guys are kind of uh, uh, kind of like in a rotation of who's considered the best pitching prospect. It's really like who's the best pitching prospect that week might be the highest in the rankings. And Dre Jameson has a case as good as any to be, you know, a really effective young pitcher that can make an impact on this D-backs roster. And we've talked about it a lot when it comes to this D-backs team about the importance of the young pitching that they're bringing up from the minor leagues. Those guys actually hitting because we've touched upon it on a few podcasts the past couple weeks like all the eggs are well let me stay away from that phrase because i said it a lot but we're putting a lot of stock into the corbin carroll's drew jones and jordan lawler's of the world because those guys feel like you know more often than not than the those guys should work out those are the top prospects the scouting reports on those guys what other people are saying the production that they're putting up like those guys are as good as any to actually hit their ceiling and if not even if they don't hit their ceiling they should still at least be average to above average major league baseball players like those guys should at least stay around and linger in major league baseball even if they don't turn to the superstars that we thought they were they could at least still be contributors to a major league team but for the d-backs pitching prospects i don't think you can have that same certainty and guarantee like you do with the drew jones lawlers and corbin carrolls 
the Dre Jameson, the Ryan Nelson, the Brandon Fapp, like a lot of scouts and people around the league, like when I talked to Lindsey Crosby, the locked on MLB prospects guy, like he likes the D-backs pitching prospects, but he's never gone as far to say the D-backs have some ace waiting in the minor leagues, waiting in the weeks. It's not like he's ever said like they got DeGrom or Max Scherzer just waiting to be called up. Like I'm pretty sure he likes the Ryan Nelsons and the Fats and the Jamesons, but I think he thinks more of them as maybe mid to back end rotation guys. Like I think he thinks maybe a Brandon Fat could be like a number two or number three starter, but I don't think he sees front line potential with any of them. I think he probably sees more back end bullpen kind of potential with those guys. So for the D backs, they have to hit on this pitching talent, the pitching prospects that they have, because those guys either need to translate to above average major league starters because the D-backs have shown not a great ability to go out there and sign major league starters like they were able to trade for Zach Gallen. Merrill Kelly was a nice signing, but he didn't look like this version of Merrill Kelly. The, the first couple years in the D-backs organization um, makes it's no surprise he started to look really good as soon as we brought Brent Strom in. I mean, Zach Davies has been a revelation this season, but it's not like it's not like Zach Davies is a needle mover of a move. Like Mike Hazen hasn't done a great job at signing rotation guys or bullpen guys. So it's like if these guys from the minor leagues don't really hit, like where does that leave this D-backs team? Where does it leave the D-backs future if you just don't have any trust in these young pitchers um, hitting? Because we all believe in this lineup. We all believe in the young position players that we're calling up. But if these minor league pitchers don't hit, then you're never going to compete because there's not a lot of faith in Mike Hazen going out there and trading or signing pitchers because we're not quite sure if he knows what he's doing in that department. He hasn't really shown um, competency in signing guys in free agency like that. So for the D-backs, if these pitching prospects don't hit, then it could be the reason that they're ne never able to get over the hump when it comes to this rebuild. They can always just be an enticing team that wins 85 games and they're in no man's land and just stuck in purgatory, getting close to the postseason, but maybe not really ever making it. Or maybe they do make it, but as a wildcard team, it's a one and done. It's just more seasons like 2017 and maybe 2019 where you're like, yeah, you're a competitive team. You're a good team, but are you a World Series contender? No. And I think the pitching can be the reason that holds the D-backs back because... Like I said, Mike Hazen, don't have a lot of faith in him going out there and signing great rotation players or bullpen guys. So the D-backs really need their young pitchers to work with Brent Schaum and for them to hit their ceiling because without it, I'm not sure if the D-backs can ever get back to contention. Now, I want to talk about things we still have to look forward to for the rest of this season after that tough series loss to the Dodgers. And one of those things might be a Rookie of the Year finalist. So if you think Jake McCarthy could win Rookie of the Year, you need to head to betonline.net to place your bet because betonline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is also your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. Oh, now let's get into the podcast and discuss 
some things we were excited about for the rest of this season because guess what? I know that series loss to the Dodgers was tough and I'm recording this as at uh, right before the D-backs even play their final game against the Dodgers and the series is already gone. I don't think the D-backs are winning tonight's game. Like I, I'm already conceding this series to the Dodgers. Like Whenever we play the Dodgers, it's not a good time. Like The D-backs, I'm recording this before the third game of the series and the D-backs against the Dodgers this season before game three, two and 11 against the Dodgers this season, right? Dodgers are the D-backs daddy. They own us, they bend us over their knee and they spank us whenever they feel like it's necessary to punish us. But the D-backs against the rest of Major League Baseball, they play 500 ball. This is a quality team, this is a competitive team. So I hope they are able to eventually one day, someday turn it around against the Dodgers. But for the right now, for this season, what are some things we still have to look forward to? Well, the first thing that I'm still looking forward to and watching that's keeping me interested in this D-backs team is Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly. Where can they finish in the Cy Young race? And is it crazy to think the D-backs can have two top five finishers in the Cy Young award race? Because right now, Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly have been absolutely dominant in the second half of the season. Zach Allen, we already know about his 43 and a third or 44 and a third uh, scoreless inning streaks in the second half of the season. Zach Allen has a 0.97 ERA, not 1.97. It's 0.97 ERA in the second half. While Merrill Kelly has a 2.58 ERA in the second half, not shabby himself. Like those two guys have been absolutely dominant and elite. And if you look at the ERA run leaders in the National League, Zach Allen is number number three in ERA with 2.5 ERA on the season. And Merrill Kelly is number nine, 301 ERA. So if Merrill Kelly has a couple more nice starts, it's quite possible he could crack maybe the top seven, maybe the top six in ERA. And with the way Merrill Kelly has pitched this season, because we know he's a workhorse, 29 starts, 176 innings pitched this year, it's very possible Merrill Kelly uh, maybe hits 200 innings pitch. Like that's the kind of guy Merrill Kelly is. Kelly tied for fifth most innings pitch, and he's only like, he's not going to catch Alcantara, but he could finish second in innings pitch this season in the National League. So I'm definitely watching this Merrill Kelly and Zach Allen Cy Young race because I think Zach Allen has a very strong case to finish second in the Cy Young race behind um, Alcantara because Zach Allen currently leads the National League in hits per nine innings. He also leads the National League in walks and hits per nine innings. He leads the National League in whip. He leads the NL also in one other stat, too, I believe, that I can't remember off the top of my head. So, Gallon has been nasty. He's pretty much top three in every category. And then Merrill Kelly is, like, top eight in every major pitching category in the National League as well. Like, those guys aren't going to have a great win-loss record, but that doesn't really matter when you get... The amount of quality starts that those two put up, when you get the amount of times those guys go deep into a ball game, like that totally matters. Um, because the D-backs, we know, don't have a good bullpen. So when you have Mer- Merrill Kelly or Zach Gallant out there, and they know they have to go six or seven innings because they don't go deep into a ball game, their team has no chance of winning it. You can't turn it over to the bullpen. There's like two guys you could trust out the bullpen, and Amantiply is coming off a, a, a heater where he just pitched the last four games. Guess what? He might not come in that day that Merrill Kelly or Zach Allen's pitching. If that's the case, you're pretty much down to Kyle Nelson. And if that's the case, Merrill Kelly and Zach Allen probably got to go at least eight innings. So 
I want to see where those two could finish in the Cy Young Award race because I think it would just be so cool, such a spectacle. The D-backs had two top five Cy Young finishers. That would be insane. I don't even know the last time the D if that's ever happened for the D-backs. I would have to imagine it happened like a Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling type year. I'm going to see if I could maybe see if there's any overlap real quick as I'm talking, but that would be absolutely insane. I mean, let's see. We could go real quick as I'm doing this. 2001, Kurt Schilling finished second in the NL. Okay, look at this. Look at this. The first time I pulled it up, 2001, the year that the D-backs won the World Series, Randy Johnson was number one in Cy Young voting. Kurt Schilling was number two. So we've seen, we've seen, the D-backs do it before. We've seen them have not just two top five Cy Young finishers, the top two. And guess what? They didn't just do it in 2001. They did it in 2002 as well. So we've seen the D-backs do it. If any team has a history of doing it, it's the D-backs. So I want to see where Zach Allen, Merrill Kelly can finish in the Cy Young Award race because if they could finish top five, it'd be the first time anyone's done it since Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling for the D-backs. Another thing I'm excited for, the battle for third base, because this is going to be, a, I think, a big offseason discussion. Who should be the D-back starting third baseman in uh, 2023? Because right now, I think we're all probably leaning Josh Rojas because of what he can do with his at-bat compared to um, Emmanuel Rivera. Like, Emmanuel Rivera has been nice for the D-backs this season, but he's kind of really struggled um, like over the last month. Like, he hasn't really done too much, too much in the month of September, and his numbers have really started to take a toll, like, his numbers on the season now, at least for the D-backs, with the D-backs. Manuel Rivera now batting 236 with 768 OPS with the D-backs. Like, he's really starting to come down. Josh Rojas, meanwhile, 272 average with 745 OPS. I mean, he's got 19 stolen bases as well. Josh Rojas has really taken a leap at the plate. He's really just continued to impress the last couple years, at least in my eyes, because this is not someone that I expected to really be a key contributor when I first heard he got thrown into the Zach Rinky trade in the first two years of watching him in Arizona. I didn't think much of Josh Rojas, but 2021, I thought he was really solid. I thought he put together a solid campaign. I think he's having a better year this year, even though most of his numbers are going to look pretty similar to last year's. But defensively, Josh Rojas at third base has been like kind of average. He's got 11 errors at third base. So defensively, the advantage clearly goes to Manny Rivera, who I think has a perfect fielding percentage at third base this season. But offensively, I think it definitely goes to Rojas because I think he's a better pure contact hitter. Maybe Manny Rivera has got a little bit more pop, a little bit more over-the-fence power, but Rojas definitely has that gap power, 21 doubles this season. And he also got that speed. Like I think that speed is important for Rojas because he's someone that you could play at the top of the lineup. He's someone that could be a table setter for the D-backs, but I think he's also someone that could be batting at the bottom of your lineup up as a table setter as well because sometimes people like to have that speed guys or like your eighth or ninth guys so it's like your lineup is kind of resetting a little bit and if you look at Rojas depending on where he's batting like he's really good at batting six but the sample size only three games batting six this year he's actually batting first more than any other spot this season and when Rojas is batting first this year 286 average 759 OPS are really good numbers but Rojas, he's actually been really good batting third this year. 15 games batting third, 327 average, 974 OPS. So maybe Rojas should be the guy playing third baseman because third base is also considered like a, a usually a position where you have like a, a position player of power there or someone that could be a middle of the order slugger for you. Josh Rojas probably isn't a middle of the order slugger. That probably fits more of a profile of a, of a Emmanuel Rivera, but 
If Rojas is putting up a 300-plus average and a 900-plus OPS when batting third, then maybe maybe there's more in the Rojas offensive repertoire than what we've already seen. And for Manuel Rivera, his best batting position is batting second, actually, which is pretty surprising, or batting seventh. He's actually batted eighth more than any other position, um, more than any other spot in the lineup. He's not very good batting eighth. But overall, I think it'll be a pretty highly contested offseason debate. Rojas versus Manny Rivera. Rivera, better defense, probably a little bit more of a middle-of-the-order slugger type over-the-fence power bat, while Rojas probably less power, more gap power, but more speed, probably less defense. But when I consider the offenses of both those two, Manny Rivera, he had a hot stretch, but I'm not sure if he's really that guy that we saw when he first came over to Arizona because Kansas City, he wasn't really doing much work with them, and the Royals were pretty quick to move off of him. Like He only spent... Basically, a year and a half in Kansas City's organization before they decide to move off of him. So I think I would give it to Rojas for next season and make um, Emmanuel Rivera a little platoon DH type of third baseman because I think that would be the best course of scenario for him. And I absolutely love Josh Rojas. Of course, I've talked about him a lot. Swaggy type player. I just love the energy he brings to the D-back squad. So I'll probably lean Josh Rojas over Emmanuel Rivera for third base in 2023. The next thing that I'm really excited to see the rest of the year, and this is just an overarching topic kind of, but just the whole outfield in general. And I got to wrap this pot up soon because I'm starting to sweat over here with my fan off. But the outfield in general, just something that I'm really excited to see for the rest of the year. And I don't think that's a surprise at all because you just look at every outfielder the D-backs have. They basically have five go-to outfielders and each one of them is so unique and has a different narrative that's like really interesting to follow. Jake McCarthy, the breakout star of the D-backs this season, absolutely putting up just insane numbers. <laughs> McCarthy's batting 300 with 836 OPS, eight home runs and 17 stolen bases. He's made a couple of highlight defensive catches in the outfield, even though he's not like an elite defender. He's solid out there. He seems to be the clutchest guy. Seriously, when there's runners in scoring position, there might not be a guy I trust more than a Jake McCarthy right now for the D-backs this season. Because if you look at Jake McCarthy's numbers with runners in scoring position, he's batting 410 with 1021 OPS and 61 at-bats. Insane. Two out to runners in scoring position. Jake McCarthy, 519 average, 1196 OPS. That's in 27 at-bats. So, Jake McCarthy's definitely that dude. He's been clutch. He's been out. He's been the breakout star for the D-backs this season. Um, you look at someone like Corbin Carroll, the phenom, the prodigal son, just got called up. He's got basically all the tools. He's got speed. He's got power. He's got an arm. He can do it all. Offensively, defensively, he can be a table setter. He can be a middle of the order bat for you. He's the ultimate Swiss Army knife. And it's not the kind of Swiss Army knife where it's like, yeah, he's good at a bunch of things. No. Corbin Carroll's great at a bunch of things, which makes him so enticing and so intriguing to watch. So he's another guy that you just can't get enough of. You want to see him do everything. You want to just see him lay down a bunt and run it down to first base because the way the man runs, he's so quick. He's so fast. And it, it seems like when he's running, I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone run harder than a Corbin Carroll. And I think his stature probably helps too because he's only like five foot two. I'm joking. Corbin Carroll, I love you. He's like five seven. He, he looks pretty small when you see him in person. So 
Even with that being said, love Corbin Carroll. Super excited to see him the rest of the year. How about an Alec Thomas? This is someone whose bat really hasn't come around this year. His bat something that has to really improve. Only batting 244 or 654 OPS. But he's still someone that's super fun to watch because... I'm not a I'm not really a guy that likes to watch defense. Like, of course, I want to see the pitcher pitch, but it's like I think that's if I had to choose a side of the game that I can only watch, whether the offense or the pitching, I would definitely choose the offense. But when the defense is up, the D-backs defense, Alec Thomas is a spectacle to watch in center field because the jumps he gets on balls, his instincts, the freaking defensive highlight reel he's gonna have at the end of the season with all the home runs he's robbed. All the gap doubles he's dropped, all the diving stops, the sliding plays, the the quick throws in, the quick hit man, uh, the quick throw to the relay man. Like Alec Thomas is going to put together an insane defensive highlight reel this season. I hope MLB drops it on their YouTube channel. I hope it's not just the D-backs putting it out themselves because this man needs to be recognized for his talents in the outfield this season. This man should be in gold glove consideration. I don't know if he will be. I'm trying to check his games real quick. He's played 105 games this year, so I don't know. If he hits like 115, 120, I don't know if that'll be enough to make him a gold glover. But this guy plays like 145, 150 games next year. He might be a platinum glover because that's how good he is defensively. So even though his bat doesn't do a ton, he's still super quick. He's still someone that's fun to watch on the base path. And what he does defensively in the outfield, absolutely insane. And then... Got Dalton Varsho. I mean, Varsho, talk about Swiss Army Knives. This guy plays every position. He plays catcher. He plays outfielder. This is a guy who played full-time catcher in the minor leagues, decided to get called up, convert to outfielder, basically. And now the D-backs are like, we might never put this guy behind the plate again because he's quite literally a gold glove caliber defensive outfielder. Plus, he's really tapped into some power this season. Like, I think Varsho definitely still has another level because he's only batting 241 with 764 OPS, which is just not good enough. But 24 home runs for Dalton Varsho. Like, if he hits 30 home runs this year, that would be a great feeling with around 80 RBIs. Now, I think he could definitely turn up the stolen bases. Only 10 this year. Like, that could definitely be improved. But the makings of a Dalton Varsho 30 home run, 20 stolen base type of year, maybe 30, 30 kind of year, that's definitely there with a gold glove caliber.